tonight. Well, this morning we are going to be in several passages as we continue our series. Oh, hold on. Let me get my mark on here. Uh, we're going to be in several passages this morning as we continue our series on vocation. Uh, the first passage we'll, we will be looking at and we'll be reading is from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. And I'll bring uh, the passage up on the screen. Now hear the word of the Lord. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So we continue our series on Christian vocation. I'll bring up that diagram that we looked at before there. The, call, the Christian calling. And one of the blessings of the Reformation that we've talked about is how uh, is the teaching of the priesthood of all believers. That while, yes, there are certain offices that belong to certain individuals who meet certain requirements in the church, all of God's people are considered to be a holy and royal priesthood unto God. And as such, we are called to live as priests and to engage with every area of our calling, with the goal of offering our lives as spiritual sacrifices made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so we talked about our outward call, I mean, our calling toward our family last week, and now uh, we are going to be talking about our, uh, our calling in the area of work, in the area of labor. And uh, it's often noted that Americans uh, work far more hours than our Western or European counterparts. Uh, but the irony is that even though we may work more than others, uh, we do not actually know what work is supposed to be about. For some, work is simply a means to an end. There is uh, the famous song, you're working for the weekend, right? Uh, or... Uh, work is a means of, to, to achieve some vision of status and success that is defined by some combination of power and influence, money, homes, cars, clothes, vacations, etc. Some seek meaning in the job itself in terms of satisfaction. This is, this is at the heart of the saying, you know, love what you do and you won't work a day in your life. Now, what's interesting is that inherent in that view is the idea that work is a bad thing. You don't want to work. Yuck. Blech. Right? But what if the thing that we love isn't something that anybody wants us to pay us to do? And then there's that good old confusing idea that no one really knows how to do, which is called this thing called work-life balance. What's that? So how are we to approach our calling to work, to labor? Well, today we are going to see that as Christians we are called to work. We will consider how to embrace our calling in all kinds of work. And finally, that our calling is to work in the world while yet not being of the world. So we'll look at each one this morning. First, we are called to work because most basically, as we just read, work is good. 
Work is a good thing. The idea of work itself is a good thing. It's kind of counterintuitive, though, not only to modern ideas of work, but it's actually counterintuitive to how the ancient world viewed work as well. In Greek mythology, humans were created to do all the, the, the grimy you know, work that the gods didn't want to do. Uh, in other religions, work is simply a necessary evil. And, uh, and so, like, the idea, of, and, and even in the, the Roman times, I mean, work was still kind of this necessary evil because the best thing to do was to just be able to kind of sit back and just think and go into philosophy and to philosophize. And that was the pure, uh, pure way to go. In the Roman Catholic Church, especially at the time prior to the Reformation, work was sullied with corruption and it was far better and holier to give yourself to a life of meditation upon God in service to the church, oftentimes removed from the church and the monastery. But we read a very different perspective on work in the Bible. Again, God made man, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves in the earth. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Tim Keller raises the point that work is fundamentally good because God works. He creates, he orders, he names, he sustains his creation. And so that, that, that would imply then that creation was created to be worked by, its very, by the very definition of creation, how God made it. It was made to be worked and particularly worked by man. Therefore, as the only creatures made in the image of God, we are called to actually emulate our creator. And this is accomplished through this thing that we call work. And that God made the world... And it's not in our passage, but in that chapter, it talks about how he made a garden and he put man into it. Well, a garden assumes order and purpose. And it's really interesting. Gardens are like gardens are a big deal here, but they're also a really big deal in Britain. And they like comparing like British gardens to like French gardens. <laughs> so like and so the, the gardening is a big deal. And, but gardening, uh, and there's a lot of different ways to do it, but gardening has some order and purpose to it rather than just kind of out in the wild, right? Because if it's just out in the wild, then it's just a forest, right? But if, it, but if it's a garden, there's cultivation, there's intention, there is some planning, there's boundaries to this or that. We're going to put this here, cultivate this crop over here, right? So Adam is called to tend the garden. That means to protect, and also it would include to expand the garden, bringing a blessed order to the rest of creation. The idea is that gar the garden was meant to get bigger. It was meant to expand. Humanity is called by God in Adam by virtue of our creation and God's explicit command to Adam to build, cultivate, and create from the created order. To do this requires creativity, ingenuity, innovation, and curiosity. And this brings God's glory for his image to spread throughout the earth, producing that blessed order. Now we're going to address the problems that come with work in a moment, but it's critical for us to understand that as Christians, 
uh, or the Christian understanding is that we were made to work. And that work itself, in the beginning, was not evil or bad. It's good. And human dignity is strengthened when we engage in meaningful labor. However, we must address the fact that work is not only good, but it's also cursed. Work is cursed. And if we're going to go to Genesis 1, and we're going to talk about how work is cursed, and you, got, you can guess what chapter we're going to go to next. It doesn't take long. But we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, he said to Adam. So you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I mean, consider that mandate that, what, that God gave to fill and subdue the earth and to have dominion over it. This would require two primary tasks, according to at least two tasks, according to a uh, general task, we could call them, according to what God says here. Having children and then work in the world. And so Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Eve's sin came through deception in that she was deceived by the serpent. But it seems Adam was not deceived, that Adam actually understood what he was doing and rebelled against the Lord. He engaged in his rebellion intentionally. And in response, remember those two works, childbearing and work, are how you fulfill the mandate that God has given to, to, to mankind. And what is it that God curses? Childbearing and work. And so he says to Adam that you shall return to dust. By the sweat of your brow, you will get your bread. I think it's interesting that Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. He teaches his disciples to pray for our daily bread because bread comes by hard labor, work. Because if, we, if daily bread, why do we have to pray for it? Because it doesn't just show up at our doorstep. Okay? Unless, uh, unless we got manna from heaven, but we don't have that. Right? So, so our work is impacted by the curse of God and the corruption of sin, and so we have to pray for our daily bread. And so, and, uh, and as we know, sometimes bread can become short, in short supply, or it can become too expensive beyond our reach. The nature of work is cursed because, further because we corrupt the purpose of work itself. The purpose of work, we remember, uh, just what we talked about, is to bring good order to the world in even small ways. Um, it doesn't mean we're talking about orchestrating all the, the entire world, but that, but that our work is meant to bring some amount of order, even this small corner of the world, uh, and mutual benefit to our neighbor. But instead, work gets corrupted to become an idol that we worship in order to satisfy the lusts of our hearts. Or sinful desires for lavish comforts and numbing entertainments. Or, the, or significant purpose and meaning that is misplaced. In his book, The Call, uh, author Oz Guinness, who does actually come from the Guinness beer people. That's, that's, he's descended from them. Uh, but he, uh, but he, writes, he wrote a book on calling called The Call. And he shared about this wealthy businessman who made millions of dollars. Who said he would trade nearly all of it if he could just have a sense of purpose in his life. He was like, I would trade it all for that. 
People will often treat jobs like they're trying to find, like like they're finding a spouse who's looking for, you know, they're looking for a spouse. So we had this idea, it's this farcical, crazy idea where people go like, I got to go find the one, I got to go find my soulmate, as if there's this one person in the world that is perfectly like me, and I got to go find them through the works workings of fate or whatever. And, and just watch a romantic comedy; it's all there. So. Uh, and, and, and but the thing is, is like there is no special person out there to complete you, uh, and neither is there there's some job out there that will complete you. I mean, it, like I, I just tell people, look, I, I, I know you know when you find your soulmate when you marry him. Good, like <laughs> so, like I, I I'm not sure if I found my soulmate. Are you married to them? Well, then who'd you marry? Okay, well then that's your soulmate. Congratulations, you found him. All right, search is over. All right. Now repent. So, all right. So, anyway, uh, but there is, uh, but but there's no job that does that either. People treat jobs like that. I just haven't found my calling. I haven't found the one job to rule them all. Okay. Uh, our um, and so our our work is not meant to be vested with all the meaning and purpose that our souls need. Our work is cursed. In, it, in itself, and it is filled with all manner of obstacles and, and that press against our knowledge and our ability and our capacities, not to mention the difficult people we encounter along the way, whether they're coworkers or customers. Right? Work is often filled with, with, with error and failure. When I was managing a, the coffee shop, you know, whenever it was time to upgrade the software system, you're just like, this is not going to go well. Right? It's just not going to go well. Or they go, we're going to do a new system. And you're like, this is not going to go well. All right? If we're putting our ultimate meaning into our job, then the curse and the flesh will ensure that we will one day despair, even if we are successful by the standards of the world. Or as people, many people in Hollywood have talked about, they said that you know, you're always climbing to get to that next precipice. But what they don't tell you is that once you get there, there's just another one there. And if you get to the top of your field, you become the super all-star, you find out there's nothing at the top but meaninglessness. So, the, so one takeaway here is that when you, when you stand back at your work, whatever God has called you to, whatever field God has called you to labor in, and you say to yourself, this is terrible. This is really hard. Be encouraged because what you're experiencing is normal. You, you, that's, we should expect our work to be hard. Our, our work is cursed. It's thus challenging. But because of the common grace of God, we also at times find it enjoyable. We find at times our work at, at certain moments like a fish in water. And we enjoy it. And we're like, why can't work always be like that? Oh, yeah, because of the curse. Because of sin. But, we, uh, but work can also be a blessing. It's not all bad because of the curse. And so we've, so we've kind of introduced here, we've got the purpose of work is to be, bring order to the world, to, to be a blessing to ourselves and others and in our labors. Uh, but also it's hard because our labor is cursed because of sin and the presence of it. And so, um, and, and so now we need to move into how do we embrace our calling 
in our work, in this area of work. And so, uh, and, and the first thing we need to realize is kind of, a, we need to expand our definition of what work means. And so, so I want to say this, all kinds of work fit into this thing we call work. It's not just the place we drive to and we park and we go in. Like that's not just the only, that's not our work place. Sometimes we're called to work in our homes, in our families. Sometimes those, those, those things overlap, those spheres, those spheres overlap. That we talked about a family and work, of, of work and civics, they can overlap together. But Paul gives this wonderful uh, summary here in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one, love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. That, that's high praise, right? He's like, you, don't, you know, Christians in Thessalonica, you don't need anyone to tell you how to love because y'all, y'all, y'all are loving the brothers. You're loving the Christians. You're loving people around you. Uh, you're doing it. It's great. They're even feeling it in other areas around Macedonia. Uh, you, wonderful testimony here, but that's what you're supposed to be doing. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to love, uh, to continue to love the brethren, uh, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I love this because Paul is the, is the, is the worst inspirational speaker in the world. Because he's like, what do you aspire to, right? And he is just like, live a quiet life. Mind your own business. <laughs> like, work with your hands. Work honest work. Be, have, and, 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 then, and love the brethren, which as he already said, and have a good testimony to, to outsiders. Like, you're just like, you're like, I'm not sure Paul really understands what it means to be aspiring, Right? Uh, and so, but we're t- we live in this way that we may honor God, that we experience blessing as we honor God, but also that we may be, uh, give that good testimony to those outside the church. And so, and so Paul proves that he is not a social media influencer, a news show ratings chaser, or a sketchy salesman. We are called to live as priests of God where we are, and that means where we work. Uh, we work in many fields and many places. Some work in education. Some work in weapons manufacturing. Some uh, work with structures, uh, making structures for buildings, the medical field, in the home, and on and on we could go today. We are called to work uh, excellently, faithfully, quietly, that we may produce good things in the world and bear a faithful testimony regarding Christ, the gospel, in the church. And so some Christians get stuck on what job they have and what job they should have, and that's understandable. And this is not, Paul is not against, um, you know, job mobility. He's not saying you just go, be thankful you got a job and don't try to change or don't try to move up. Like, he's not saying any of that. Um, but in times past, we have to understand you normally did what your father did. Like, you normally did what your family did. Like, the family business you couldn't get out of, that was what you did. Uh, uh, if you tried, you would be starting from zero, and you have zero resources. You wouldn't have any training. Like, you wouldn't, you know, they, they, don't, they don't do that. So, uh, so now, um, and, but now we have lots of mobility, and so we do have to answer these types of questions. What job should I have? Where should I go? There's so many different options for me. 
But in short, um, it, it is wide, pretty wide open. But work should be something that produces something that benefits others. And, and it should be something that we have some interest in, some competence in, and something that somebody is willing to pay you money to do, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty basic, but you'd be surprised at how hard it is to try to, you know, tick all those boxes. Or, or some people are kind of like, oh, you know, was it Mike Rowe, the, the dirty jobs guy? He's just like all anti-following your passion and dreams. He's just like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> he literally says, don't follow your passion, right? He says, and, um, and I had somebody kind of, one of, my, one of the students that I uh, tutor was kind of like, wait, what? Because her father's an artist. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, I said, look, but your father's good at it. <laughs> No one's going to pay me to make a statue. <laughs> like, no one's going to pay me to paint a thing. Like, I might do it. They're gonna like, that's nice for you, but I'm not paying you money for that. <laughs> so, uh, so there needs to be competence. There needs to be interest. There needs to be all these things. Making use of the natural talents that God has given to us to do. And that is also God, through his providence, calling us into certain fields, through opportunities, through our skills, through, uh, through the timing of it, like God uses, we talked about this, God primarily works in providence uh, in our vocation, in our calling. Uh, but the possibilities are really, uh, are, very, very, are, are very much open. But in order to embrace our calling uh, in work, we need to also understand not only that this applies to all kinds of work, but also that we need to consider our roles as superiors and inferiors. Now, this is kind of one of those things that kind of really just kind of irks people right off the bat. They're like, I am inferior to no one. You know, because that, that's kind of the American ethos, right? We're just kind of, we've been taught to say that. And we're like, but, but you kind of are, right? We all are. Because we're all accountable to someone, right? If, if a policeman pulls me over and I'm just gonna like, I'm not inferior to you. I'm going to get arrested, right, if I start going off on him. So... Uh, so Paul, uh, so uh, so Paul has a lot to say here, and oftentimes it comes up in these passages that are very controversial uh, for 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 obvious reasons. But usually, where he's talking about servants and masters um, in, in these passages, so Ephesians chapter six, verses five through nine, he talks about slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will. As to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, uh, anyone does this, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And so he, and so he says, and so he says, he says this. And if you want to talk about employers and employees, that may be more effective. But the whole point is that uh, the whole point is we're looking at it. There are certain responsibilities that those who are accountable to others have, and there are certain responsibilities that those uh, um, that those have who have those under them, who are under their authority. So, what you want to call it, superiors or inferiors? You want to call it servants and masters? You want to call it uh, employers and employees? Whatever you want to call it, um, they call it that. But he says those who are under authority should obey those over them as they would Christ himself, with fear, trembling, and a sincere heart. He says that we, should, that we should not work as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing God's will from the heart. And so from that perspective, God says that we work with good will and service to our Lord, knowing that he will reward us regardless of what our boss does. And remember, he's talking to people who don't have a lot of social or economic mobility. If you've got the mobility, Paul says, look, if you can free yourself and kind of open up those opportunities for yourself, go do that. 
But for those who can't, those who are stuck, serve the Lord. You got a bad boss? Serve the Lord. He's your boss. All right? And then let your, and, uh, and, then, and then if you can get a better situation, get that. And so he does, but he also has something to say to employers, those who have authority, which is to do the same that he just said for the other ones. To stop threatening, to know that, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So he said, the thing I just told those who are under authority to do, masters, you need to do. That you need to serve them in the name of Christ. That you need to serve them with integrity, doing the will of God, and don't abuse your authority. Don't, don't just be threatening all the time. Don't, you know, know that you are someone who's accountable to God for the authority you have. So whatever work we do, whether from the home or to the office, we ought to remember that we are all subject to God and to discharge our duties that God may be pleased with our labors and that our neighbor would be served. And so work is good, but it is cursed. Uh, therefore, we need to embrace our calling in our work and all kinds of work as superiors and inferiors. And finally, uh, we work in the world, but we recognize that we are not of the world. And for this, we go to the, uh, 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 Jesus' priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, where he says, I have given them your word, talking about his disciples, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so from these words of Christ, we can consider how we can fulfill our calls in a fallen world. And, and, and our calling, particularly in work. So in this prayer, Jesus says that he is not praying for us to be removed from the world, but that the devil would not overcome us as we are in the world. Christ has given us his word, he says. Christ has prayed for us to be set apart in holiness in the truth of the word of God. And so he's talking here the words of scripture, certainly, but even more pointedly, the word of his grace in the gospel. The grace of the gospel renews our broken visions of work and enables us to deal with sinful co-workers and bosses, poorly managed companies in our own sin that we bring. His grace redefines the purpose of our, of our work, of going to work. I mean, do you realize that, you know, everyone talks about, and it's funny, it's almost everyone talks about uh, imposter syndrome. They get some place, they get some kind of authority, and they're kind of like, if any, anybody knew, like, I don't really feel like I know what I'm doing. Like, that, that kind of thing, this imposter syndrome. Do you realize when you go to your place of work, no matter where it is, that Jesus sent you there? And he didn't just send you there to, as an evangelist to share the gospel. He did that too. But he sent you there to work. And he sent you to do your work. How does one walk into a difficult, high-stress job where they feel like running away from? I'd rather just book it out of here. Jesus sent me by his grace and power, and I will do all that he wills for me to do here. 
those who work in their homes with their children. Christ has sent you there. Those who are retired, God has freed you from the traditional bonds of employment. And he says, sent you wherever you are at to do the work before you. But Christian, know that you were made to work. You were made to labor for the Lord. And wherever your labor is, Christ has sent you there to accomplish his will by the power of his Holy Spirit. Therein lies your confidence and hope in your work. Christians and non-Christians can work side by side, doing the very same work, but for vastly different reasons. The non-Christians work. Uh, the non-Christian works for many different many reasons, but not reasons of faith and trust and service to God. And God is not pleased with that labor. But we work for the Lord, trusting Him and working excellently. That means as best we can, with integrity. And by his grace and his son, Jesus, he is pleased with our labors. This is a mercy, mind you, but a mercy that God grants to his children as he takes pleasure in us. As we close out this sermon, we would be remiss not to remind ourselves of the rhythm of work and rest. The book of, uh, the book of Exodus says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And Jesus in the New Testament reminds us the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath command assumes work. It assumes six days of labor. My seminary professor said five days to do the labor for your church. The sixth day to do whatever it is your wife wants you to do. And then you can rest. Working for the Lord in our lives is good. But even before the fall, God set apart one day in seven for rest. How much more do we need rest in a cursed and fallen world where our work itself is cursed? And Christ reminds us that the Sabbath rest is not for itself, in and of itself, but that Sabbath rest is for us. And so we don't need to work hard to attach all kinds of long lists of all the things you can't do on the Sabbath. But it, but it was made for us, and we ought to make use of it that we may refresh ourselves in the grace of God, that we may be invigorated to re-engage with our labor. We need to be reminded by the Sabbath, which the Sabbath is there to remind us, that our life is not defined by our work. It's not defined by how many days we work, how productive we are, how much money we make, how high we climb on the ladder, how vast our accomplishments are. Because we come on the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, and we take all those crowns, all those dusty copper crowns, and we lay them at the feet of our Savior. We need to remember that work is a terrible God. It is a terrible master. But it is also a wondrous good that God has mandated we engage in as Christians, as his people. Work is something we were designed for, that creation was made 
before. And so today, let us, uh, let us repent of our wayward ideas and idolatries concerning our work. And let us take up the gospel call that renews our calling in our work and embrace our labors. That for the sake of Christ, our neighbor may be helped, that we may be blessed, and God would be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us to work, you made us for work, and that even in the hardships and, and, the, and the difficulty and the, uh, and the cursed aspects of our labors, there is still good there, there is still blessing there, there is still enjoyment to be had. There's still fellowship with, uh, with those we, we work alongside. There is moments in the work itself where it just, it is a delight. And then, but then there is also hardship and difficulty and pain and loss and getting fired and getting downsized or getting, a, or just all kinds of problems that we can hit. And so, Father, we pray that you would correct our vision and understanding of what work is, that we would engage with our, our work and our labor as you have called us in whatever place it may be, and that we would understand that wherever we are, wherever we have shown up to work, that you have called us there, you have sent us there, and that may we enter with confidence and boldness that we will accomplish to the best of our ability and by the grace of the Spirit, all that you would have us to do for the glory of your name. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's stand now and uh, sing together our final song.